Hello and welcome to A's Plus, the San Francisco Chronicle's podcast on the Oakland A's and Major League Baseball. I'm your host, Chronicle A's beat writer Susan Slusser, and today, Mark Topkin from the Tampa Bay Times joins us. The Rays beat writer will tell us all about what kind of moves Kevin Cash might be able to make in Wednesday's wildcard game and who the top Rays players are to watch for in that game. Then David Feldman joins me to talk about the A's 97 wins, which he correctly predicted would get them into the postseason, and concerns the A's might have going into Wednesday's wildcard game. All of that next on A's Plus. Our guest today on the A's Plus podcast is longtime Rays beat writer and my good friend, Mark Topkin. Mark, uh, this should be a fun one, right? Uh, everyone always compares the A's and the Rays. At long last, they meet in the playoffs. So what, what are your thoughts on, on this? Finally, you know, that they've swapped players back and forth all these years. They, they've got the small payrolls, the bad stadiums. Here they are finally, they finally meet in the postseason. It is. It's is kind of funny. It's kind of monumental. And, and I, I, the rumor I heard is rather than going to the division series, the winner gets a new stadium. Did you hear anything about that? <laughs> I heard the, least, the loser goes to Montreal. Yeah, there you go. There you go. For part of the year, anyway. So, no, it, it is going to be fun. There are, uh, I mean, just in the Rays clubhouse alone, I mean, three guys that I've been kind of wearing out on a daily basis asking them A's questions, and Eric Sogard, and Joey Wendell, Emilio Pagan. Um, there's obviously a lot of, you know, cross-pollination. There's some front office guys that have worked in both places. And, and uh, just the fact, like you say, these are two organizations that, while not necessarily modeled after each other, are kind of mirror images of each other, and even how they play the game. I mean, asked about uh, the matchup, one of the things the race manager, Kevin Cash, said was, you know, they're going to mirror us, we're going to mirror them, and if they make a move during the game, we're going to make a move during the game, and back and forth. So it uh, will be a day for uh, scorecards in pencil, and a day for lots of coffee, I think. Yeah, I mean, I think the Rays are a little more unpredictable than the A's are this year. Um, how uh, how would you characterize uh, Kevin Cash and his ability to make moves and, and what he might be looking at doing? Because things could change pretty quickly. Yeah, I think the best way to characterize the way uh, Kevin Cash's managing style and as he's kind of grown into it in this being his fifth year here is he doesn't really care what anybody thinks. I mean, he'll make the move that he thinks is right for the team. We've seen him take Charlie Morton out of a game in the fifth inning in Boston, which seemed crazy at the time. We saw him take Ryan Yarbrough out of a game after eight and two-thirds innings in Seattle when the Rays had started a complete game in over two years. Uh, in fact, against the A's back in 2016 was their last complete game. And, uh, you know, and it worked, and they won the game. We've seen him you know, pinch hit for guys. We've seen him put relievers in who were struggling mightily and put them in in crucial situations. And sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. But they have a philosophy. They have a principle. They have a guiding you know, thought process on how they want to do things. It's very matchup-oriented. It frustrates the heck out of fans. But here they are playing in the American League wildcard game with 96 regular season wins on Wednesday, October 2nd. So, Mark, the Rays last year were using the opener a lot. I know they did a little bit this year. Of course, they're using Charlie Morton in Wednesday's game. Um, tell us a little bit about Charlie Morton, his year, and kind of what he was meant for the Rays overall. Well, Susan, without, without sounding smart-alecky here, I don't think we could talk long enough about what Charlie Morton has meant to the Rays this year <laughs> in terms of the performance he's given them, the record, the ERA, the strikeouts, the consistency. He, at 35 years old, I know that's a while ago for some of us, but baseball-wise, that's an old man. And at 35 years old, he's made more starts than he's ever had. He's pitched more innings than he's ever had. 
Uh, he signed with the Rays this offseason. A little bit of a surprise. It was a $15 million per year contract, two years. Highest salary the Rays have ever paid a player, $15 million. I don't think there's anybody in the organization who wouldn't say he's been worth every single penny. Uh, this is a team that lost every other starter in their rotation. It's been out at some point this year uh, with injuries or sent to the minors, inconsistencies, whatever it's been. And Charlie Morton has been there for them every time. He, every, they've won every game he's pitched in September. He pitched a game in the last homestand against the Yankees that was, you know, there, there hasn't been a must-win game, but there have been a handful of need-to-win games for the Rays. And he pitched one of the biggest ones the other day, took a no-hitter into the sixth inning. I mean, just been dominant. And that's not even getting into what he's done with this young team in the clubhouse and off the field and the leadership and the guidance he provides. And, uh, you know, we, we heard when he came over, you know, from the Astros, how uh, revered he was there by the fans, by the players. A.J. Hinch, who I know you know well also, you know, just one of the most, I think, sincere managers out there. And he just, he raves about Charlie Morton. The Rays went back to Houston. Charlie Morton pitched there. And, and honestly, there were mixed emotions in the stands. I mean, people were cheering for Charlie Morton as much as they were cheering for the Astros. So it, it really can't be defined how much he's meant to them. He's clearly the guy to pitch. You know, he's won a World Series. Uh, he's gotten the final out of a World Series in Game 7 for the Astros in 2017. So he is the guy to pitch a, a winner-take-home, do-or-die, you know, one-and-done kind of game. No question about it. Wow. Um, from afar, it looks like the bullpen has really been working on all cylinders and I know there were some some sort of uh, juggling and late additions how would you um, how would you define sort of the bullpen at this point well let's put it this way and this will speak to the humility with which the Rays also operate Emilio Pagan whom they got from the A's who was actually on the A's postseason roster last year uh, didn't make the team out of spring training and he's their closer. <laughs> so we just think of it uh, that way. Is they, they kept Wilmer Font over Emilio Pagan uh, at the end of spring training because Font was out of options, and they sent Emilio to the minors. He pitched his way up uh, by mid to late April or so and kind of bounced around a little, and then as other guys failed and faltered, they gave him a chance. He has 20 saves right now. Uh, never had one in the big leagues before, obviously. And, you know, that's a guy, Oliver Drake, who – well-traveled pitch with five teams last year. Everyone kind of, you know, including me, all kind of made fun of him when he got to camp. Like, oh, don't unpack your bags. Aha. Uh-huh. He got started the year in the minors. He's been a huge, huge part of this. Uh, Nick Anderson, whom the Rays got at the July 31st trade deadline from the Marlins, of all the bigger name relievers traded, I know we could discuss this for a long time, but of all the bigger name relievers traded, Nick Anderson might have had the best season of anyone, you know, much more than some of the established closers that other teams got. What he's done for the Rays – uh, since he came over. So they've kind of patched this thing together. Colin Poche was the guy who started the year in the minors and did miserable, had a rough spring. Thought they, they thought he'd make the team, had a rough spring, sent him to the minors, didn't do well. And one of those things where they kind of went against logic and called him up anyway, even though he didn't have good numbers at AAA and thought maybe he needed to be challenged differently. And, you know, he's given up a lot of home runs. He's a lefty, and some of those Oakland right-handers will have a good opportunity against him because if he doesn't throw it real hard, and when it doesn't get where he wants it to go, they can hit it out. But he's been really effective for them lately. And they just kind of piece this thing together. So it's really interesting. Um, they started the year with Jose Alvarado thinking he'd be their high-leverage back-end guy. Cash doesn't like to designate an official closer, but Alvarado was supposed to be the guy. He had a miserable season. He's been shut down. He's been home on personal leave. He's been hurt twice. He's done for the year. So the guy they expected to do the most has done the least, and all these other guys have done a ton. That's, a, that's something. Um, by the way, the, the Rays have three of the all-time nicest former A's in Sogard, 
Pagan and Joey Wendell, which that that's that, that's that's saying <laughs> well, something. Well, you train you train them well. You train them well. So because they are all incredibly uh, respectful, accessible, polite, thoughtful. I mean, if you had a list of things as a journalist, you know, as you and I in our business, what you look for in players, it's not what their stats are. It's those type of things, and those guys are high, high on the list. They're, they're eighty interviewees. Yeah, I, I would like to have all of them back, please. Thanks. Um, the, the, <laughs> you get the, them for two days. <laughs> the the Rays lineup, uh, you look at it and it's, you know, that nobody like super jumps out. There's not like a big superstar. So what do you, uh, makes the Rays lineup go? Is there is there anybody who you would really consider, you know, the most dangerous? What, what jumps out to you about the Rays lineup? Yeah, I mean, Austin Meadows, is, this is one of, one of the guys they got from the Pirates for Chris Archer and will, will go down, uh, at least to this point, as one of the greatest trades ever from Rays history. Uh, just full first full year in the majors, just emerged this year. 33 homers, leads the team in RBIs, just tons of clutch hits. He's a lefty swinger. He'll play uh, probably uh, DH. He could play left or right, but he'd probably end up DHing in the wild card game. Uh, he's probably their most potent bat. Tommy Pham, obviously the most one of the most intense players in all of baseball. Guy who's been kind of a surprise, and I'm not sure uh, you know where he'll hit in the order. He's hit cleanup sometimes. He's a right-handed hitter, so again, it'll depend on how Oakland is set up pitching wise. But Travis Darno, what a story that is! He was the guy who was released by the Mets a couple weeks into the season after spending almost all of last year rehabbing from Tommy John as a catcher. Got hurt early last year, all that rehab time. They signed Wilson Ramos this year. They decided they didn't want Darno as a backup. His three and a half million dollar contract. He signed with the Dodgers. He's from the LA area. Just thought he honestly said he just wanted to go home and be in a winning environment. He wanted something to kind of cheer him up, like be around positive people and winning people, and see if that helped him because he was obviously really down. Uh, he was there for five days. The Rays had both their top two catchers hurt within like a three or four day period. They needed help. They got on the phone. They were calling everywhere. Obviously, Andrew Friedman of the Dodgers, you know, formerly with the Rays, a little bit of connection there. They decided they didn't really have a spot for Darno. He had one at bat in those five days. He wasn't going to fit. They were trying to use him as a third catcher, you know, part-time position player. So they basically sold him to the Rays for $100,000. He got on a red-eye flight, showed up the next day, and he's been the most clutch player they have. I mean, he's in a walk year, free agent year, so he's going to make himself a lot of money this year. But he's the other guy. So I would say if, if you're an Oakland fan trying to kind of figure out, you know, to watch this raised lineup. There's a lot of movable parts and movable pieces. They move guys around. There's guys who played two or three positions in the same game. Joey Wendell, your favorite, being one of them. But Travis Darno and Austin Meadows are the two guys you want to look for uh, that could do some damage offensively. Yeah, and a lot of speed, M- more speed than the ace. So, um, uh, again, a team that um, can throw a lot of different things at you over the course of a game, which, which is interesting. How would you say the health of the team is right now? Uh, they're actually about as healthy as they've been, I mean, actually possibly all year because Matt Duffy, another Bay Area favorite, was out for the whole first part of the year. He's been back. He's been playing quite a bit. But they got their three three of those starting pitchers who got hurt during the year have all come back in the last couple weeks. They're in limited duty. Uh, Tyler Glass now has been the first one back. He's been the best of the bunch. And he, he may end up being on the roster and kind of be that other, you know, quote-unquote other starter that teams usually carry for a wild card game in case something happens to Morton or the game were to go extra innings. And he's probably at about a four to five inning stretch out right now, but he's been throwing hundred mile an hour heat. Uh, so he's back. Blake Snell's back. He pitched Sunday. He won't be on the wild card roster. I'd be shocked if he was, he'll pitch the division series opener. I think if they win, Yanni Chirinos is also back. He just came back. He's had three short outings. He could be on the roster in relief. Probably not. 
And then they got a couple of their position players back. Brandon Lau, who was leading the team with homers and RBIs when he got hurt right before the All-Star break, fouled the ball off his foot, ended up out for over two months, then he pulled a quad. He's been back a few weeks. Lefty hitter, hit a ball into the fifth deck in Toronto earlier this season, give you an idea of his power, hit a ball off the back wall at the drop the other day. Uh, so he could play second base. He could be a pinch hitter off the bench, depending on what they do. And then uh, just yesterday, uh, just Sunday, I mean, they activated Yandy Diaz, who'd been out for a couple months. He's a right-handed hitter. He's limited to probably pinch hit duties. He could also be active. So they're they're about as healthy as they've been. That uh, DL list is down to like one or two names at this point. Wow, that's uh, the right time of year for it. That's pretty amazing. Mark Topkin from the St. Petersburg Times. Are you, are you the Tampa Bay Tampa Times now, right? Tampa Bay Times. Tampa Bay Tampa Times. Bay Times. Stop changing your name. <laughs> uh, thanks so much for joining us, and uh, we appreciate the insight. I'll be seeing you very soon. I can't wait. I can't wait. It's always a pleasure to work with you, and uh, working in a playoff environment will be really fun. So looking forward to it. Too. Fantastic. Thanks again, Mark. Our thanks again to Mark Topkin for joining us on A's Plus. You can find Mark's work on tampabay.com. And on Twitter, he's at TBTimes underscore race. We will be back in just a moment with David Feldman. We are back on Ace Plus with the Feldy Follies. And David Feldman, you know what we're going to have to talk about first. What oh, have I you have been saying? <laughs> what have you been saying for weeks now? 97 wins will get you to the postseason. <laughs> yeah, and if you know, you go back in the middle of June. The A's were, well, now they were officially 37 and 36. But at the time, because the spending game was over, they were 36 and 36. Um, They were only two games out of the second wild card spot. They were seven games out of the first wild card spot, and that was Tampa Bay held it at that point. But I remember we're talking, and we're saying, listen, the A's get to 97 wins. They're going to the playoffs. Because in the wild card era, no team that has one ninety-seven has failed to go to the playoffs. That's the magic number. And what do they have to do at that point? They had to basically play six sixty-six baseball, win two out of every three, go sixty and twenty-nine to get to and to get to ninety-seven, sixty-one and twenty-nine to be official with the suspend again. But uh, and they did it. Yeah. They went sixty-one and twenty-nine to get to ninety-seven wins. And you do that by winning two out of every three games, and you do that by winning series. And you look at their last 29 series, they went 19-4-6. They did exactly what they had to do to get to 97, and it's really impressive that a team that was a 500 team for the first two and a half months could turn it on like that and finish with 97. Yeah, I mean, you, you called it, exactly, It's uh, in a long time ago. So that's, that's incredibly impressive. Now, winning series is one thing. They, the A's now go back to the wild card game, which has not been their friend, uh, as we well know. They do have the home field advantage this time. Um, but how do you feel like they set up for a one-game playoff this time around? Well, you're right about no luck. Um, this century, they've had no luck in <laughs> do-or-die games. Um, they have lost eight straight do-or-die games, starting with Game 5 in 2000. Game five in two thousand one. Game five in two thousand two. Game five in two thousand three. Uh, it's and remember, uh, and these these do or die games. They've had home games before. They had game five in two thousand one. They had, um, I'm sorry, game five in two thousand two and two thousand and two thousand three. 
they had game five in 2012 in 2013 they they still weren't able to win it so it's not an automatic that they're going to win the game but it's such a relief to have this wild card game at home i i don't know what it is i, I think the fans felt it i know i felt it it was so important for them to host this game um, maybe because the last two times they've made the postseason, they didn't even get a home game. And that is just, it's so depressing for your fan base not to be able to celebrate your team in a postseason because, you know, postseason games are unlike any other game. And the energy and the excitement um, to not get to experience and to experience that is like not even making the postseason at all. Um, so to have this game at home and to have that experience, I think is a huge plus for the A's. But in no means is it a guarantee that they're going to win the game. No, I think I, I saw a stat the other day that showed that since the advent of the second wild card team, that uh, wild card uh, road teams actually have the better record. Um, nice. But the Coliseum, there, there will be 50,000 plus there. It will be loud. There will be drums aplenty. <laughs> um, that should be fun. Uh, I, I Obviously, the atmosphere will be... A, a, Fantastic. We remember what, what it's like in a playoff atmosphere there. We, we wish it was a little bit more like that during the regular season. However, uh, I, to me, there is a concern going into the postseason. There are a couple of concerns. But, but first of all is this team, they're getting on base, which is what you, you want to see, but they are not hitting with runners in scoring position. Two for 45 on the season-ending road trip. David Feldman, is this something that, um, that you know, that it all starts a fresh Wednesday, or is this something where you feel like, uh, maybe this is something to worry about a little bit? I think it is a concern because this team, as we talked about, especially during those first two months when they were a 500 team and at times under 500, um, six games under 500 at one point, they relied on a home run to score. They weren't putting together rallies. Um, and then as they got hot, you started to see more of, of hitting up and down the lineup. Uh, Ramon Laureano carrying the team in, in July by getting hits. Uh, Mark Canna picking up that when Laureano went down. And now we got into September, and the A's started going back to their home run is the only way we score ways. And this road trip was just, it was so absurd how bad they were with runners in scoring position. And you said that they were in two for 45. Only one of those hits scored a run. Yeah. And, and luckily, it was, that was Chapman's home run against the Angels, which, I mean, has their, you, know, you think back to these pennant races, maybe one of the biggest home run hit in any of these pennant races the A's have been in. Um, it is a concern. Um, I don't know how you get out of it. This team isn't going to change their ways. They're not going to start bunting. Oh, however, when Loreano did bunt, it led to a two-run homer. Just saying. <laughs> it was a um, terrible... Terrible bunt. Horrible bunt. <laughs> but, as I've always said for the last 50 years, bunting is good luck. Uh, no, uh, <laughs> I just, at times, though, you'd like, in, during that road trip, I would like to see them do a little more, putting guys in motion and doing things, because it was just, if it wasn't just outs, it was double plays. I mean, it was just brutal outs with runners on base. Yeah. Um, I do believe you start fresh on Wednesday. I don't, you know, the A's aren't going to change the way they play. They aren't going to start bunting or hitting or running or any of that thing. That's not going to happen. You just hope your guys that you count on are able to come through and don't put too much pressure on themselves. Uh, every, you know, having these two days off before the game, I think is a really good thing. I think even having the Sunday off in Seattle was a huge thing to get guys off the field and, and stop playing with this pressure because there was a lot of pressure on them this week. Um, even though this is a loosey-goosey team and they had a celebration after a brutal loss, 
uh, they're still pressured to get this home game, and they did it. Now they have a chance to relax and restart, and you just hope it doesn't. <laughs> this bad runners' scoring position doesn't follow them. Yeah, well, that's uh, you make some some good points. Um, I talked to Darren Bush, the A's hitting coach, and I talked to Mark Hanna yesterday about the hitting with runners in scoring position, and they both made the point that it's clearly sort of a pressure related thing because they're getting men on base. It's not like they're not yeah. hitting. The opportunities are there. Darren Bush said, that tells me it's guys pressing. And Mark Canis said, we're being over-aggressive. We're not being patient. We're getting a lot of off-speed pitch pitches, and we're not kind of getting deep into counts. He said, you know, we just got to get back to being willing to hit with two strikes to make sure we get the pitch that we want to hit, and that's the key. So uh, we know the A's can do that. They've got a bunch of guys who are good hitters and who can hit with two strikes. Um, and if they're not feeling pressure, um, I think they'll be fine. However, one-game playoff, there's very little more uh, that that's full of pressure than that. That's a, about as uh, that, that's the most pressure-packed situation you can get in baseball. So they really need to, if if it's in their heads, they need to get it out of their heads somehow. Now. I think you mentioned the days off. That's huge for them. A lot of the ace players are very banged up. They don't want to discuss it for a lot of reasons, but among them, they don't want to make excuses. But Matt Chapman's legs are not good. Um, he didn't want to use it as an excuse for why he's not been hitting. Um, but, uh, you know, and also he, <laughs> he got hit in the head. He keeps getting pitched up yeah. and in. Uh, this poor guy, you know, he's playing sort of a, you know, a little, little bit... Um, He's certainly not at full strength. Let, let's put it at that. But most of the outfield is very banged up. Chad Pinder can barely walk at this point. He's got all sorts of things going on. Um, he still wants to be out there. He's still a useful player. He's been hitting the ball maybe harder than anyone else on the team in three days in a row. Opposing players make spectacular catches on balls he hits in the in the gap. So this guy can't can't catch a break all season. That kind of encapsulated his his whole year. But Robbie Grossman's got a shoulder thing. Of course, Piscotti's just coming off the IL. And we know what Loriano's been dealing with, with that, um, you know, the stress fracture, or stress reaction in his right leg. And you can see sometimes when he's running that he is certainly not yeah. 100%. So, uh, and, and everybody else is dealing with it, with things. that This was a team that needed rest. And you kind of have to think that's certainly at least going to help when it comes to the offense. Yeah, it, it's just to refresh, restart, and get off your feet for a couple of days. I, I think it's a huge thing. Um, and it's even more impressive how they played down the stretch with these guys banged up like they were. Um, and really, how many stars can we put next to Marcus Simeon's name that here's a guy playing shortstop who goes out there every day, plays every day, and plays at the level that he played? Um, it's even more impressive when you look at what was going on around him. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting when you look back at this A's year and injuries, right? Because they didn't have the years like years past where they had – 10, 12 guys on the injured list at the same time. It wasn't these, these massive injuries all coming at once, but it was spread out over the whole season, starting with Olsen, right, yeah. missing over a month. It's so, you know, they lose Piscotti, they lose Loriano. Um, it's amazing how they made through, and they got a little lucky that it didn't all happen at once, but they did have injuries throughout this year that they had to overcome. Yeah. And and we, as we've mentioned, the obviously the Montas suspension too. Um, Piscotti winds up in an interesting situation. You know, he's been the everyday right fielder really for two seasons. But while he's on the IL, Loriana moves over to right, looks maybe better in right than in center, and Mark Canna looks 
really good and center, that's certainly fine. I mean, it's a good combination. Um, so that right field spot is, is not, I don't think, available right now. I think if Piscotti's is on a postseason roster, he's coming off the bench. He's got a great postseason track record, but he, he gets into the final game of the season. That's the only game he's played in more than a month. In your mind, is he on the postseason? Maybe for the wildcard game, I don't know what you do in a longer series when you've got really a shorter roster because you've got to add more starters back in. It's a it's going to be an interesting decision. Even in the wildcard roster, the A's could opt for Franklin Barreto, who might be a little bit more uh, versatile uh, and could might be a better pinch running option than, than a guy uh, who's coming off the I.L., yeah, I have a hard time putting Piscotti on the roster right now, basically because he hasn't played, like you said, in over a month. I mean, one game, four bats yesterday in Seattle didn't look great. Uh, how can how can you? Yeah, I mean, it's just That's you've rough. been out. You have the leg problems. I don't know if he can be a factor in a postseason game in any way. I, I like Loriano and Wright. I think his arm plays even a lot better in oh, Wright. Oh, it's so great. Yeah, um, you know, in Canada. I thought we saw something on the Saturday game in Seattle. We saw his maturity in center field uh, in the eighth inning with Deakman pitching where there was a line drive to center when he could have came in and tried to make a great catch, and he didn't. He played back, played it on a hop, kept a run from scoring. Um, that's the maturity of him that we, we didn't see when he first came up. I mean, he played center when he was first up in 2015, and it was a disaster because he didn't know what he was doing. Um, now – that showed me right away, okay, this guy's thinking baseball, and he's playing. He has a handle on that position. Um, so I'm, I'm with you with Cannon Center, Loriano and Wright. That's where they're best at right now. Barreto gives you a little more flexibility because he's got speed. He can come in defensively and play second. Um, I think especially in a one game, I think I'd rather have Barreto than Biscotti. Yeah, and, in, and I just don't see how if, it's, if they move on, uh, how there's even the roster flexibility to carry Piscotti, which, you know, this is a guy, he's he's been one of the few A's players that I think you could say has been clutch. He has a nose yep. for the big hit, and he's done it in the postseason. You know, he hit three home runs in a series against the Cubs in 2015. That's impressive. Uh, that's going to be a really, really tough decision, and obviously the A's have a lot of, um, you know, sentimental attachment to Piscotti, too. He's been the guy. You know, he's local. Everyone knows what he went through with his mom. Uh, and he's a stand-up guy, a team leader. Uh, that's going to be a tough one. But uh, from a sheer practical sense, uh, I'm not sure. I'm with you. I'm not sure how he's necessarily the guy that they choose. Uh, maybe for the maybe for a wild card, when you do have a little more roster flexibility, we don't know yet know how many pitchers they're going to take. Uh, I suspect that they will probably go a little heavier in the bullpen. Um, than position player-wise, in, w- in which case, yeah, you're right, it's probably Barreto. Um, one interesting development, uh, certainly over the course of the month, but it's getting ever more interesting, it, Jesus Lazardo. First, it was kind of the pig- piggybacking, you know, comes in after the starter goes five innings and goes three innings. Love it, that's great. Takes care of one of the A's biggest issues all year, which has been middle relief. Lately, it's been he's showing up later and later in games, maybe working an inning. And then uh, Saturday comes in and pitches the final two innings and gets the save when Liam Hendricks wasn't available after working three in a row. 
is he now not um, we're not talking about beyond this year because he's obviously a starting pitcher and he will be a very good starting pitcher is he now the A's either setup guy when Hendricks is available or is he the closer when Liam Hendricks is not available yeah I, I think he might be and I think he might be also your seventh and eighth inning guy yeah at this point Right, he could be pitching a lot in a postseason, especially because there's days off in between. Yeah, you you can you can really manage his workload around the games and the days off. I think you know, and we've talked about with the A starters um, how go five or six, and then your bullpen can get you the rest of the way. You're not asking them to do more than that on most nights. Well, we we like the job that Petit did all year. Um, Obviously, Hendricks, Uh, Soria. Now that he's had days off in September, has looked like a totally different pitcher. He's been dominant when he's been out there. Um, these days off have, have paid such huge dividends. Um, but now you have Lizardo, who's a multi-inning guy, and that Saturday game in Seattle showed you they brought Petit in for the sixth inning, and then Lizardo pitching this, the, the, the last two. Um, and they were trying to get two out of Petit, and I think they could have. I don't. I'm, again, for me, I'm not a huge Deakman fan. He scares me every time he pitches because you know he's going to walk somebody or something horrible is going to happen. Thank God Murphy saved that wild pitch. Um, yeah, that was nice work because, by him. I asked Melvin about it, that after the game, and he kind of downplayed it. I was like, well, it was a pretty big situation, and not a lot of catchers get that one. No. So if they could stay away from Deakman and Bookter and get Lazardo to be your bridge to Hendricks, that puts them in a great situation. And and we've talked about how other guys have come up and done this, you know, K-Rod, David Price. Um, we didn't see Sale in the postseason do it, but we saw him do it in the regular season. Um, teams haven't seen him. Tampa Bay has not seen Jesus Lazardo. Yeah. So this is a weapon where you're going to come in a high-pressure situa- situation with a pitcher who, at least from the outside, doesn't look like he feels pressure at all. Not at all. That's what I was just going to say. That's As impressive as the stuff is, and it is, it's just lights-out stuff, it's the poise and the demeanor that you go, oh, man, this... Uh, Bob, Bob Melvin said the other day, he just does not show any nerves at all. He's gotten himself in a couple of tricky situations, and every time he just smoothly sails right out of it. Yeah, you know, and he works quick on the mound, which I like, especially as a reliever. He puts the batters off balance because they're also feeling the pressure and they don't have time to get that deep breath. Lazaro's ready to go. And he's coming at you with stuff. I, I really, I know some people have compared him to Johan Santana, but to me, he's, he's, he's Lariano from the Twins in 2006. I mean, he's, his, the way his stuff bites, the way he changes speeds, I, I, this guy, he's, he's got a world of talent and he's going to be a, a huge, huge weapon. Uh, in the postseason, a wild card game, and hopefully beyond. Yeah, the way he varies tempos, you know, he, he's got the little quick pitch. He can quick pitch essentially with all his pitches, which is crazy. Yeah. He's even got a little ephus. He's got the, you know, the Midland a couple years ago when it went big with the Brian Howard, Howard, the whole turkey sub. So he's even, he's not going to, pretty sure he's not going to break it out in a postseason, but that's what, I'm, he's got everything. So... Yeah, it's it's kind of an exciting development. So uh, let, let's hope that if the A's are going to advance, uh, that he gets a shot Wednesday to get in and, and uh, that things break the A's way for that to happen because uh, who knows what, what goes on before that. The A's wild card history so far is not great. Does that weigh on them, David, with the, with the past? Or is this 
uh, even though many of the A's players this year obviously were there for last year, so does that not factor in? I, I don't think so. I think for, for most of the players who were there last year, it's the experience of having gone through it, and especially going through it in a hostile environment. So I, I think now coming home to a friendly environment, I think it's just an advantage. Um, you know, last year's game gets a lot of flack from, from people and A's fans and the opener and this. But when you look back at it, yes, Hendricks gave up a two-run homer in the first. But they went to the bottom of the sixth inning only trailing 2 nothing. They were in a good position to make a comeback in that game. The Yankees had already used their top reliever in Batances, and last year Batances was unbelievable. And it was going to be David Robertson and Zach Britton the rest of the way. The A's were going to score against those guys. Uh, unfortunately, the bottom of the sixth happened in Fernando Rodney, um, which put a kibosh in any comeback. But yeah, and then, I don't think and then Blake Tynan, right. who has not been the same since. No, and having to pitch in the sixth inning. Yeah. Um, but I thought going to the bottom of the sixth, they were in a great spot in that game. Um, and the it wasn't the opener's fault that they lost that game by any means. Um, so I think the experience of that is huge. Yeah. I, I will say one thing that does worry me more than anything, and that is how some of the rookie hitters are hitting right now. Um, and that and, – and the A's keep putting them up in big spots. Uh, and Seth Brown, who got off to this great start, right, the first 18 games hitting 386, coming through in the clutch. His last eight games, he's 0 for 18. Yeah. Um, and he's hit some balls well, but they keep going to him in these situations. Uh, and, and Murphy – who, again, he got off to a hit in 400 in his first 10 games. Well, in his last 10 games, he's one for 23. Um, the, these guys are going to be, I assume, that Brown's going to be in the lineup. I assume Murphy's going to be in the lineup on Wednesday night. Yes. Um, and they are they need these guys to produce, and we talk about the runners' scoring. And a lot of times it's, it's these hitters coming up in those situations, and they are rookies. Um, a lot of pressure on those guys. Their first time through this uh, – more than anything, I think that has me that has me the most concerned is how they have performed down the stretch. Yeah. I, you know what? It wouldn't stun me if Grossman's in rather than Brown, based on that. I mean, that's kind of a pick em at this point. Um, certainly when you're looking for a guy with a little bit more experience, it, it, Grossman might be the guy that gets the nod there. But uh, he's also very valuable coming off the bench. And Bob Melvin has talked a lot this last couple of days about, you know, the fact that Tampa Bay is a team where it's one move after another and you have yeah. to be able to counter it. And I think you probably want Robbie Grossman as a guy that you have on the bench to be able to counter some of those moves. So that's going to be yet another interesting decision. Now, as we talk, the A's still have not named a starter for Wednesday's game. Um, people listening to this might, you know, might be listening after the starter's named. I fully expect it to be Sean Manaya, Billy Bean, Hinted pretty strongly last week um, on the A's Plus podcast that uh, it would be Manaya. It's between Manaya and Fires, clearly. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, it seemed pretty obvious to you that it should be Sean Manaya, or would you? Do you have any reasons to lobby for Mike Fires or Homer? It Bader? reminds me a. Oh, it reminds me a lot of the decision that went into the Game Five starter in 2013. They had to decide between. Bartolo Colon, and Sonny Gray. Um, and Sonny Gray had pitched really well in game two uh, against Verlander, matched him zero for zeros. Um, and that's what they went with. And no problem at the time. 
Um, Cologne had been, you know, there all year, uh, had been very consistent that year, and he pitched okay in game one. Um, so, okay, that's fine, Sonny Gray. I think they're going to make the same sort of decision now with Sean Manaya. Uh, he's been so hot. He's pitched so well. Uh, he's only given up four run-scoring hits in his five starts, right, the three homers and the double. Um, and he looks, to me, he looks totally different than he did before in the fact that he's throwing every pitch with conviction. Yep. He knows what he wants to throw. And the comparison, that, especially with his backdoor slider now, going to the back foot of the right-handed hitters, is Madison Bumgarner. Interesting. And because he's throwing the ball, his, his philosophy on his fastball is really low 90s. It's not the 95 or 96 when we first saw when he first came up. He's, he's lower in, in, in the radar zone now. But because the off-speed pitch in the slider and the way it bites, it's making his fastball look a lot faster. Um, and it reminds me of Bumgarner. And I just, the way that he's throwing, uh, plus a left-handed pitcher against a lineup with the Rays that has some very tough left-handed hitters, I think gives you your best chance to win. Um, and especially when I look at the Rays, the guy that, that scares me more than anybody in that lineup is G-Man Choi. He has gotten big hit after big hit coming down the stretch for the Rays. And he scares me. As the one real big power threat, you need to neutralize that. I think Shamanaya does the best job at neutralizing that. Interesting. Bumgarner, that's not a comp I would have thought of. Um, Billy Bean mentioned John Tudor in that great 85 season that he had uh, as, as sort of his comp for Manaya this year, um, which is which is interesting. So that's a, two, two guys I would not have put in the same sentence no. as Bumgarner and John Tudor. But um, you know what? That's It's all pretty good, especially if you're talking about that 85 season. So. Um, well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, Fires obviously has been very good at home and, uh, you know, he's had the great start two starts ago and looked okay the other night. So the, the thing, the one reason that I would think they might consider him for the wild card game is more looking ahead because do you want him starting at Houston where he absolutely got shredded earlier this month against a team that he has trouble against and you're ensuring he would get two starts in a in a series if the A's move on to a division series that's the one thing that might give me a little bit of pause but he's going to have to pitch somewhere in that series anyway yeah and you know what I and I, I know his last two starts against Houston were, were not good right the first start in Oakland where he gave up four homers and then he goes five homers three in the first inning. Um so that's not good but I also think back to the middle of July in Houston when he pitched into the eighth inning. Yeah. And he'd only the only runs he gave up was on an inside-the-park home run by Gurriel and a ball that Loriano should have played back on, much like Mark Hanna did last Saturday, um, would have stopped those runs from scoring. So he's shown that he has the ability to pitch to this lineup. He's made, you know, over this season, he's made five starts against the Astros. Uh, two of them have been outstanding, one in Oakland, one in Houston, and three of them not good. Yeah. So yeah, that's, yeah, that's tough. It is tough, and but I think the A's, I think they're smart enough. They're not going to look ahead, and they're going to say, "What's our best option to win Wednesday?" Right. Which is what they—that is what they do need to do. Do you? Who do you have as a second potential starter available? Do you, do you go Bailey or do you go Fires? Especially at home, I, I'm I'm starting to think, and with days off, et cetera, I'm thinking Bailey maybe. Yeah, I would think that. I think Bassett's going to be there for length as well in the bullpen, which is another guy who can give you multiple innings. and might be actually a pretty good weapon uh, in certain matchups. 
because his, his curveball does play, especially when, when teams are in a pressure game. You're a little bit more excited. You're a little bit more going to jump at the ball, and Bassett may be able to fool him a little bit. Uh, but for your next long man, I would think it's going to be Bailey. Because, yeah. um, again, hate to look ahead. But if you are looking ahead, in my mind, if I'm going in the Houston series, my rotation is going to be Mike Fires in game one, Brett Anderson in game two. Because yep. Brett Anderson is very well against Houston and very well in Houston. Yeah, that's a good matchup for him. Yeah. So then you go three, you can go there, you can go Bailey, and then Bailey four back to Manaya. Yeah. yeah. All right, I like so, it. We, well, we figured yeah. it out, David. <laughs> they, were just the calling and ask us. They, they never listened to us. I don't know why. Uh, well, you did call it with the 97 wins uh, right on the money. Um, pretty major accomplishment for a team to win 97 two years in a row, especially dealing with uh, some of the, A's, the issues. Last year was losing essentially the entire rotation and having a completely different rotation by the end of the year. This year, with all the many things that we've talked about, from the Frankie Montas suspension to all the other injuries and then complete non-performance by... Trinan and Trevino and the Davis power slump. It's uh, it's really been uh, quite an accomplishment for this team to to have done that. No matter what happens on Wednesday, and we will talk to you, I think probably later in the week. Either way. Yeah, hopefully it's not a post mortem. Hopefully it's a look ahead to the ALDS. Sounds great. Thanks, David Feldman, for joining us on Ace. Thanks as always to David Feldman for joining us on A's Plus. David is an official scorer and a stats expert who appears regularly on A's Plus. Our producers today were G. Allen Johnson and King Kaufman. We will be back again later in the week with more A's Plus. Thanks for listening. A's Plus is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. Audrey Cooper is the editor-in-chief. If you like this show, please subscribe, tell a friend, or give us a review. Follow me on Twitter, at Susan Slusser, or you can email me at slusser at sfchronicle.com. Support A's Plus and a lot of great journalism with a subscription to the San Francisco Chronicle. There are print and digital editions. Find out more at sfchronicle.com slash subscribe. Subscribe.